0: Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters, one of the pastors here at the church. For those of you who may be joining us online or at a venue at an off-site campus, wherever you are, we are excited that you are here with us this weekend. Well, one morning, a man rolls over in bed. His wife had come and sat at the edge of the bed beside him. She was rubbing his back. Sweetie, sweetheart, a little shake. You know, hey, it's time to, it's time to get up. It's time for us to go to church. He rolls over like, oh, gosh, what day is it? I don't want to go to church. No, you know, he's a babe. I don't want to go today. I don't want to go. I'll give you three reasons why I don't want to go to church. Number one, I hate that building. It's so big. I park like a mile away. I'm supposed to show up in church clothes. By the time I get to my seat, I feel like I need to be in workout clothes. I'm sweating all the stairs, all the walking. I don't like the building. Number two, I don't like the people. I've got a couple friends there, but for the most part, I don't like those people. And number three, the people don't like me. I can just tell nobody really talks to me. I'm not going to church today. And like any good woman, she looks at him. is like, okay. I'm not putting up with this garbage. I'll give you three reasons why you need to be in church today. And the first of which is I got up early. I got my hair done, got my outfit on. I'm all ready to go. You need to get up and go with me. Number two, I know you've heard me chasing these kids around the house all morning. I got all of them fed. I got all of them dressed. They're all ready to get up and go to church. Number three, you're the pastor and all the people there are expecting you to be at church. Get up. How many of you are thankful to be a part of a church where you've never once had to roll over and think, oh God, I don't want to go to church this morning, right? This is this a place you can be excited to come and worship, go after God every single week? It's silly, but man, it is serious. If we were to go around this room and across all of our campuses, chances are you have a Seacoast story of how this place proved to be a family, a place of hope and healing for you and a season where you desperately need it. Many of you have heard my story. We've been here about 13 years now, showed up in a season of brokenness in our marriage. First weekend was at the North Charleston campus. Didn't have any friends at Seacoast. And I remember walking the aisle that day, going up to Pastor Sam Lesky, who would end up being a best friend of mine. Putting all of our cards on the table up to that point in my life. I spent a lot of it in hiding, trying to put my best foot forward, pretending to be somebody that I really wasn't trying to be the guy with the answers. And man, we were busted and broken. And we would go on, get connected to a small group with six or seven other couples, all of which either had a shift change or moved to a different city. Something happened to where it just ended up being Katie and I and our small group leaders every Friday night from about six to ten for six months. They were the splint that held us together in that season. After moving here. The sale of our home in Columbia fell through. We were renting a house here. I was still unemployed, trying to carry a power bill and mortgage there and rent and bills here. And because of the generosity of so many Seacoasters, because of our Acts 4 fund for families who are in transition or in a tough spot financially, the church provided for us financially to help us pay some bills. Nobody knew who we were. There was no reason for the church to help me. But in a season where I look back now and know that we would not have made it. If it was not for Seacoast Church, not the building, but the people who had prepared a place for us, who had given to serve and provide for us, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I know each of you have your Seacoast story. And as we walk with God, as we come here on the weekend, it's easy for time to pass and us to forget where we were, what God's done, what we've come through. So I want to take just a minute for us to pray and just thank God, tap into your own story, whatever work God has done in you, through you in this place. And let's just thank him. We're getting to be a part of this thing that we call church. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Seacoast. And I acknowledge that I could have been born anywhere in the world and any time in history, but you chose this place this time for me to be a part of this family that I might call it home. And so I thank you. God, I thank you for the work that you've done in my life, for the many ways that I've encountered you here, for this church family that I get to be a part of. God, might we today come away with a renewed vision, with a renewed passion, with a renewed love for the local church. Be with us today as we get in your word. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, for the last four weeks, we have been in a series called Common Ground. We live in a culture, in a world that likes to separate us or divide us based on our preferences, our political convictions, all sorts of things. But how many of you know the things that we have in common as the children of God are far more powerful than the things that divide us? And so for the first week, we looked at. Who is God? Second week, who is Jesus? Then, who is the Holy Spirit? Last week, we looked at what is the Bible. This week, we're gonna be looking at what is church? What is church? What comes to mind for you when you think about church? You know, it was interesting in week one of this series, Pastor Josh had everyone stand up to identify yourself based on your church background. And we often joke about Seacoast being the largest Catholic church in town, but we saw so many folks stand up who grew up Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian folks who had no church background. And so we got to see that, man, the average Seacoaster today is made up of just about every denominational background, no church background, everything that uh, that you could think of. And what's interesting about that for so many of us, if you've grown up in church, if you're not intentional to reframe what is this thing supposed to be based on what God's word says, what is church our church experience supposed to be like? If you're not intentional to reframe that, to maybe reconstruct it, it's easy for us to slip into behaving or interacting with it, much like we did when we were young. Maybe for some of you, you grew up with a drug problem. Your parents drug you to church every weekend, right? Right. It was not where you wanted to be when Sunday morning cartoons came on, but you got dressed, you sat in the pew, you caught a good nap, maybe colored a good picture on the offering envelope, right? Then you, then you went home. For some of you, maybe it was just about buildings and boredom, just like a routine that you went through every single week, but it wasn't a place of love, a place of connection, a source of life for you. Well, the first place that the church is mentioned in Scripture is found in Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 18 in a conversation that Jesus was having to the disciples. It says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And essentially, Jesus here is wanting to get the word on the street. Hey, what are people saying about me? Upon which they were real encouraging to Jesus, they said they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Upon which Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And this word you here is plural. So if Jesus was texting, if it was a group thread, he would have said, what about y'all? What do y'all say? I am like, are you mimicking the masses? Is this some kind of like parody of the public? Or do you have your own personal convictions as to who you say I am? Simon Peter, who is the leader of the disciples, he answers. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what Jesus tells him here is that this was a a divinely inspired declaration. Man didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven did. You are Simon, which means pebble, but I will call you Peter, which means rock. Essentially, Peter got a promotion here, and Jesus says on this rock, which is the Greek word Petra, which is not just a rock, but a group of rocks hewed together to become something much larger, larger, much greater than any one of them could be on their own. Jesus says, I will build my church. So that the church would be a body of people, each of which share the belief, share the conviction that he is both Messiah and Lord. And what's interesting about this response is that it's not only the first time that the word church is mentioned, but it would serve as a precedence for us of how the church is talked about in Scripture. You could read all through the Bible, and there is no book to talk about what this church experience is supposed to be like. How many songs do we play? Do we do children's ministry? What does missions look like is the band supposed to wear skinny jeans or how loud is the music supposed to be? I know some of y'all wish there was a chapter in the Bible that talked about how loud the music is supposed to be, but there's not That's part of the reason when you read through Paul's letters, when he's writing to the church in Colossae or Philippi or Rome, each of them had a different pastor. We're in a different context and we're struggling with different things. There is no book that lays out exactly what this thing is supposed to be like. But the precedent that Jesus sets for us in talking about the church is in painting a picture. Finish this statement for me. A picture is worth a thousand words. Why do they say that? A picture is worth a thousand words. If I'm scrolling through Instagram and come across a picture of a baby, I brought one for you. It's one of my favorites. Oh, look at that picture. That's my daughter, Catherine Adele. And we need to get dedicated. Katie, let's remember that next baby dedication. Right, you can scroll through the gram and see a baby and just think, oh, chubby cheeks, thunder thighs. Look at that little hair bow, which I don't get the hair bow. Man, you take those things off and it looks like it's left a like a crimp in the baby's head. It's like, I'm sorry. Mommy likes them. It's so tight. <laughs> what do you do? Right. It's easy to just see a baby for what it is. But I've got some friends on, on Instagram. When I scroll through, and I see their feed, I've got a text thread a mile long asking for prayer because of their struggle with infertility. They've seen doctor after doctor. They've spent tens of thousands of dollars in hopes of fulfilling this dream that was in their heart. And when they post a picture of that baby, all of that emotion comes out in me. It's so much more than a picture. I know the journey behind the picture. Maybe for some of you, you follow Dave Ramsey on Instagram every now and then. He'll post a picture of a family who's saved money for months or years in order to pay off debt. I saw this one of a family debt free. $235,857. $235,857. We did it. Woo-hoo. It's like we're finally debt free. Yeah, that's something to clap about. We're debt free and we go spend $100 on balloons. We're going to have to throw away after we post this picture. You know? What's up with that? Now you can scroll past it and think, well, that's awesome. Could I ever be debt free? How did they do? Man, that's crazy. I would want to do that. Right. But what you don't think about is the, the hundreds of days where they've driven past Starbucks. They brewed coffee at home when they wanted to get one. They made a peanut butter and jelly when you know they wanted to drive through Chick-fil-A. They turned off the cable and they missed March Madness. They didn't go on vacation to be able to post that picture. There were thousands of little decisions every single week to get them to a place of freedom. And it's easy for us to just see a picture. Well, in talking about God's church, he didn't pick random pictures that we may or may not have any interaction with, but he chose pictures that are core to the human experience. That when we think about his church, we wouldn't just understand it conceptually. We wouldn't have a background of interaction with it to understand what it's supposed to be like, but that he would paint a picture that might touch our hearts, that we might be moved to get involved in it, to love it, to see it as precious, the holy thing that God created it to be. So today I want us to look at three different pictures given to us in scripture to answer answer this question. What is the church? And the first of which is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. First Corinthians 12 says it this way. There is one body, but it has many parts, but all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. So suppose the foot says, I am not a hand, which I want to stop right there. If your foot ever says anything to you, you need to phone a friend, right? Something ain't right. I hope you read the Bible like this. You can't just read through that. If the foot says to the hand, if the foot Says to them like, that's just weird. If the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being a part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I am not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? Are you seeing this? Like, You want to try to smell something with your ear, don't you like with it? It don't work. You can't do it. You look weird, but you can't do it. God has placed each part of the body just as he wants it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there is only one body. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Turn to your neighbor. Say he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Each one of you are a part of it. The word that comes to mind for me is purpose. Purpose. I mean, think about how crazy this is. God has given you eyes to see food. He's given you feet to walk over to the food. He's given you hands to scoop up the food, an arm to slap it on the plate, to pick it up and move it to your mouth, a jaw to chew it, neck muscles to swallow it, a stomach to digest it. I'm going to stop right there because you know the rest of the process. (laughs) All of it wildly purposed by God. You've never once taken a bite of food and said, okay, stomach. We're getting ready to digest. Get ready. Here it comes. Three, two, one. You you don't have to do it because God created it to work. He's given it divine purpose for all the parts to work together to provide and sustain life. And the same is to be true with the body of Christ. It's how he created us. One of the pictures that comes to mind for me here is of a construction site. We've got a couple lots in our neighborhood where homes are being built, and there comes a point after the trees are cleared, the foundation is poured, that construction supplies start showing up at the work site and lumber will be over here, concrete windows, all kind of stuff. But usually there's always some kind of stack of brick or block. And it's strapped together, tied together, usually in cubes every now and then the straps break and bricks will kind of be gathered up into a pyramid. Now, for each of these bricks, they have their own strength, their own value, but it's not until the bricks are assembled that they really take the form or shape of something that they could be something that's strong and beautiful. There's a huge difference between gathering all of the bricks into one place and assembling all of them to be what they could become. So my question for you is, if you were to lay that analogy over your church experience, that for us as the body of Christ, are you gathering here on a weekend or are you being assembled by God? Have you found your place of of purpose? Has he placed you where he wants you to be? Some of you have an incredible gift of hospitality or of communicating or of administration. And man, for me, growing up in the church, the last thing I was thinking about is how I could actually be assembled to become a part of it. It was just a place that I gathered among other people. And if that's the case for you, man, you are leaving a lot on the table. I think about Caleb Harper from North Charleston. He started playing on their worship team, playing the drums when he was 12. Now he's 20, and he spent eight of his 20 years playing on the band. If you were here for first Wednesday, my man has got a gift, right? And he has been using it. I think about Jim Wright from our Somerville campus. He's not on staff here at Seacoast, but he leads the second largest ministry of Seacoast. He cares for those that society has forgotten about. And because of him, now over 4,700 inmates at four different correctional facilities get to experience Seacoast every single week. And will you join me? Let those guys know that we're excited. They're with us and proud of them. We're going after God. Jim's excited because he's about to be in three more facilities. But man, he's using a passion point in his life, a gift that he has to help other people encounter the power and presence of God. I think about Diana Warren here at the Mount Pleasant campus. She turned 89 in the beginning of this year. And every week, you can find her on Thursday here in the Breezeway working with a team of people. Pre COVID, every single worship guide that you would receive walking in had passed through her and her team's hands. Preparing the house for the weekend. You can find her here in Mount Pleasant every weekend, sitting out in the breezeway. She's a spiritual grandma, hugging all of my kids as they run into church. So happy to see you here each and every weekend. The three of them and so many of you have been assembled. You've been purposed by God. It's crazy. One of my favorite verses is Acts 17, 26, which says God has ordained set times and exact places for us to live. It blows my mind to think you could have been born anywhere in the world, literally any time in history. But God chose this liver of time, this place, whatever campus you might be at, that you would be a part of Seacoast Church. It's only 35 years old, right? I mean, it's such a gift for us to be able to call this place family, for us to be an extension of the body of Christ here at Seacoast. Not that we would just gather, but that we would be assembled by God using our gifts, not only being ministered to, but ministering others. So the first picture he gives us. Is that we are the body of Christ to be used by him, an extension of him. Second picture he gives us is that we are the family of God, the family of God. Ephesians two seventeen through 19 says it this way. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family, members of God's family. What comes to mind for you when you think about the word family? For some of you, it's probably a place, a place of pain. You might have grown up in a single parent home and the struggle was real. Maybe you grew up without a father, and so as you've gotten involved in church and faith, thinking about God as your father has been a stretch for you. Maybe you've got the crazy uncle, right? And when you think about family, it's like, oh, gosh, am I going to have to deal with him? All of us have a unique family story. I found out my junior year of high school, I had a buddy spending the night one night. And my dad called us in the dining room and he said, uh, hey, well, as you all know, I've been married before. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, we didn't know that, you know. I had a sister in her 20s that lived in Kansas. That was special. <laughs> all of us probably have a family story that isn't quite what we expected could bring up places of pain. Some of you might have had a family background that you're praying as you grow. You can recreate exactly what you experienced at home. See, for all of us, this desire for family, this longing for family is core to our experience as humans, and we will create it wherever we might be. I think about Tim and Rebecca Lindsay. Here at Mount Pleasant campus, Tim is our dream team pastor. They're from Switzerland, moved thousands of miles away. They don't have any family here. And so they interact with each of us, with their small group, with staff members as family extensions of them. Maybe when you moved to wherever you were from, you left family behind and you don't have family for hundreds of miles. But here now in this place, we get to relate to one another as the family of God. Last week, I was in Colorado for a couple days, and the friend I stayed with when I got there, he was rushing out of the house, going to work out. And when he got back, he was like, man, sorry, I had to run out. That was my last workout at my gym. And I was like, really? What happened? He was like, well, the owner sold. It's going to be changing. And so a lot of people are kind of going off doing their own things. But I've been working out there for the last five years. And man, when the workout ended, I didn't expect it, but I just got real emotional. I was like, well, man, think about it. You've been for the last five years You've had a common goal and focus with all these people. You've been sweaty. You've smelled. You show up. You break down your bodies as you work out. Surely you've had a bad day at home, bad day at work. You've got a diagnosis you weren't happy about. Something happened over the last five years that after you're worn out laying on the ground, people say, so how you doing? Your walls come down and you're able to share how it is that you feel. And they had developed a sense of family without him even realizing it. And one of the things that's, that's unique to the family of God is you can experience family in any gym, on any ball field, in any workplace, in any neighborhood, like being a part of the family of God isn't confined to this building. But I would challenge you to say it is so important that you find family in this building at whatever campus you might be in, because at some point the gym's going to be sold. The neighbors going to move. Your kids are going to age out of whatever travel team they're a part of. And the people that you've been so close to are going to move on as well. But here within the family of God, here within God's church, we can find people like Miss Diana, who are 89 years old. I don't have a grandma anymore, but I've got a spiritual grandma in her. And what she models for my kids is a legacy of faith. To say, as long as I'm walking, I'm going to be in God's house serving as long as I can sing. I'm going to be in a seat worshiping and going after God. Right. Whether you're a mother or a father, a brother or a sister, we're a part of the family of God. On February 4th of this year, a guy named Cody Carlton, who was a men's leader here at the Mount Pleasant campus. He was one of these humble heroes passed away at 51. And man, it was devastating. And he was one of those guys that until his memorial service, you had no idea how many lives he had impacted, how many small groups he was a part of, how many serve teams he was a part of, and story after story of man, men saying, he answered my call in the middle of the night. He walked with me, prayed for me. He was there for me. It was one of those services that I left wanting to be a better man. And one of my favorite speakers at that service was his son, Preston. And it was funny because Preston used to make fun of his dad. He would laugh at him because everybody he talked to on the phone, Cody would be like, hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother, how you doing? You bet, brother. I'll meet you there. And he thought his dad was doing the formal way of like, you know, when you talk to young guys are like, hey, bro. Hey, bro. What's up, man? He's like, Dad, you don't have to say brother. Just say bro. Hey, bro. What's up, bro? You know. But that night at the at the prayer vigil and then at the memorial, Preston says, man, I realized when I saw man after man come forward and share their story of how my dad had loved them and walked with them. That this church isn't about this place that we come to and this thing that we do, but about the people that we experience it with. And all these men are fathers to me. They were a brother to my dad. And I promise you, it's forever changed Preston's experience of church, the family of God. So my question for you is, are you a part of the family? Is this a place that you've just been gathering or is it a place that you've been assembled? Do you know that when you show up here, there is a seat prepared for you? You never have to question, is this going to be a place where I can belong? Because he's got you on his mind. He's had you on his heart. There are people here, divine relationships, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, grandmas and grandpas for you to interact with, but also for you to be that for them. Are you a part of the family? So the first picture is of the body of Christ. The second is of the family of God. And the third is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 25 through 33 says this Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, the word that comes to mind for me here is intimacy and talking about a husband and wife two becoming one. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And the picture that came to mind for me is of my Bible and a paper piece of paper. If I were to take this paper and put it in my Bible, anything that now happens to this book happens to the paper. I could drop it on the ground. I could hit it. I could kill it. I could resurrect it. I could seat it at the right hand of the father. The Bible tells us that each of us are Christ as Christ followers are hidden in Christ, meaning that when the father looks at the son, when he says, that's my son whom I love and him, I am well pleased. That's the same way that he looks at you and I, that we are his bride, man, that he loves us, that he can't wait to see us. I thought about this a couple weeks ago. I officiated a wedding at a couple's backyard when I got there, they mic'd me up. I thought there was maybe going to be speakers outside. It was windy, so They wanted to make sure everybody could hear. Well, I get out there and I couldn't find the speakers. I was kind of confused what's happening. The father-in-law had built a walkway, pretty much a land bridge from the porch all the way across the yard, all the way across the pine straw, right up to the marsh. At the end of it, it was kind of shaped like a T where the best man and the maid of honor could stand they had cut down trees and kind of built this natural wood awning with flowers all over it. They covered the whole walkway in white, and every person that walked down the aisle walked in the grass right? because they wanted to save, save it for the bride. They didn't want any footprints on it, didn't want to get dirty or wet. Once we get down to the aisle, the groom leans over to me, and uh, he's talking to a friend. He says, hey, Brian, can you hear me? I was like, uh, my name's Josh, and I hear you just fine. You know, like, But he was trying to speak into my mic because there was a guy in the crowd that gave him a thumbs up. And there were people watching online from Brooklyn and Hawaii and a couple other countries, all these people excited to see these two become one. The moment came where the door opened, the bride steps into the backyard. Everybody turns to look at the bride. Then they turn to look to the groom like, is he crying? I bet he's crying. He never cries. He's going to cry. Then they're back to the bride. In that moment, just all looking back and forth. So excited to see the two of them become one. Now, have you ever in that moment seen a groom standing at the end of the aisle? Go like, come on, quit the slow walking with your dad. It's our time. Food's getting cold. You know, I got to go to the bathroom. Get over here. You know, no, because there's been so much investment in a moment, picking out the dress, inviting friends, picking out the vows, the rings, all these different things to celebrate the work that God has done in two becoming one. Now, can you imagine how weird it would be, how odd it would be if the bride took a couple steps down the aisle, found an open seat, and then slid over to sit and be part of the crowd? You know? now, what in the world are you doing? This whole moment is about you two becoming one. And one of the things that I love about this imagery of God's church being the bride of Christ is that for each of us, God the Father is standing at the end of the aisle, so excited to see you and I with eyes of love, with tears rolling down his cheek, that we might see ourselves as one men and women who are in Christ, the bride of Christ, whom he loves deeply. The church might not be a a social gathering or a religious routine or something that you've always done. So you're going to continue to always do it, but that when you come in this place, you would see yourself as part of the body of Christ purposed by him to make a difference, to encounter him, to use your gifts, to impact others, that it would be a place not only that you leave encouraged, but experiencing the fullness of life that he came to offer, that you would see this place as the family of God, place where you go Sunday afternoon for lunch and know that there's a seat for me at the table. I'm never going to have to question, do I belong here? Is there going to be a place for my kids? There is as the bride of Christ, that he's at the end of the aisle with eyes of love for you. Pursuing intimacy, my question for you, and that are you taking steps towards him? Are you pursuing him? Do you see yourself as part of the family? Are you gathering or are you just being assembled? Man, there's a reason that in starting the Ark, which Pastor Greg is the president of the Association of Related Churches, that their, their motto is that we plant life. They plant life giving churches. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Don't allow your church experience to be about routine or behavior or norms. Allow this to be a place where you experience the fullness of life, where you embrace these pictures of church and allow yourself to be transformed and allow God to use you to bring about change in others. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this gift of the church. I praise you, God, for the change it's brought about in my life and for every single story, every single testimony of all those that are here. And I pray for my friends today that may be here for the very first time. Might they receive that invitation to be a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. Might they see this place as the bride of Christ, of which you paid a great price giving your life that we might have a relationship with you. God, in some way, use one of these pictures to captivate our imagination that we might fall more and more in love with your church. In Jesus name. Amen.